Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Elisa Childers Podcast, where we equip Christians to identify the core claims of historic Christianity, discern its counterfeits, and proclaim the gospel with clarity, kindness, and truth. And I'm so excited to come to you from my sabbatical. I feel so refreshed already. I'm so, it's just been so great. But I wanted to come to you with a special live stream that I recorded last Monday with my good friend, Natasha Crane. And on this podcast, we promised that we were going to be making two big announcements. And so for my listening audience, I wanted to just give you the two big announcements right off the bat. And then you can listen to the live stream we recorded last week where we did a fun little segment called Christmas Karens. And (laughs) basically, Natasha and I text back and forth sometimes because, you know, when we give our opinions in the public square, sometimes people call us a Karen. So we just decided to embrace it. We put on Santa hats and... And we embraced our full Christmas Karens and spoke to the manager of many different departments. So you can tune in for that. We also took live questions and we responded to, analyzed, and discussed an article and a TikTok video that represent a lot of the ideologies that you are having to face in your social media news feeds and in the relationships you have with people in your lives. So we're hoping that that will help equip you to have better conversations in your own lives. So definitely listen to that. But I did want to start by just letting you know what those two big announcements are so that you can be informed. So the first one is, uh, you know, first of all, many of you are already familiar with Natasha Crane and her ministry. She's been a guest on our podcast. She has the Natasha Crane podcast and her website is natashacrane.com. She's brilliant. She's one of my favorite thinkers, favorite writers. We're good friends. And a few years ago, we started to talk about what it would look like to do an apologetics conference that wasn't too high-level intellectual, but also had some really good meat and bones on it in a practical sense to help equip Christians to live their faith boldly in a culture that's becoming increasingly more chaotic. Have you noticed this? Culture is getting very chaotic. We're going to be talking about some of that on the Elisa Childers podcast in the new year. Uh, But we talked about what would it look like to equip Christians in a conference-type setting with really good apologetics information that's not just over everybody's head. And so we are launching the Unshaken Conference, and this is going to be hitting four major cities in 2023. And the first one is going to be in January in Dayton, Ohio. Now, you can go to unshakenconference.com for more information. You can register for your tickets right now for Dayton, Ohio. And then in the coming weeks, we're going to be announcing announcing the other uh, cities that we're going to be coming to and the other, uh, you know, conferences that we're going to be having throughout the year. Now, hopefully, God willing, this will be a yearly conference. And so each year we'll have a different theme. This year's theme is winning the battle of the gods. And the question we're going to be asking 
is are we going to follow the authority of the voice of God, the revealed word of God, or are we going to follow the millions of people who are following the authority of the self? And frankly, how is that working out for everybody? That's the big question, right? And so each year we're hoping to rotate uh, guest speakers. This year, Frank Turek will be joining us uh, for winning the battle of the gods. And we're just hoping that this will be such a time of encouragement for you. If you're in one of these cities or you can make it to one of these cities, we really hope you'll come out. So unshakenconference.com for more info on that. Now that's kind of the big announcement, but I gotta be honest with you guys, it's the second announcement that I'm kind of most excited about, and that's that Natasha and I are launching a new podcast. Now, the Elisa Childers podcast, the Natasha Crane podcast, these will still continue as normal. These are more long-form podcasts, as you know. We go deeper into theological topics and apologetics topics as they would relate to the reliability of the Bible and the truthfulness of Christianity, confronting progressivism. But the, the new podcast that we're launching is called Unshaken Faith, and we are going to be doing a very short weekly 15-minute or so type of—we're going to be doing some hot takes. We're going to be reacting to TikTok videos and Instagram posts, all of the things that are really relevant to you right now in culture. So if you're scrolling through your social media newsfeed and one of your friends posts something and you're like, oh my goodness, how do I respond to this? That's the type of stuff that we're going to be talking about on the Unshaken Faith podcast. Now, I really want to ask my audience to do something now. Um, go to wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's Spotify or Apple, search up the Unshaken Faith podcast. Listen to the five-minute trailer that we've posted. We have uh, a little bit of letting you know kind of what's going to be happening with the new podcast coming in the new year. And then we have a clip of some of the types of ideas that we are going to be interacting with in the new year, responding to, analyzing and helping you think through. And um, here's why I want you to do that. Uh, oh, just since we launched the podcast a few days ago, it shot up to number 11 on the Apple charts for religion and spirituality. Guys, that's a huge deal. So the Elisa Childers podcast has certainly gotten up in there, but we tend to kind of hover around 30 or 40. This has gotten almost into the top 10. This is amazing. So when you go and search up the Unshaken Faith podcast and you listen to the trailer, it, uh, it, it will help and you subscribe. It's really the subscribing that will help kind of bring that up in the charts. And what that does, it's not about pride. It's not about being able to say we were in the top 10 or whatever. What it does is it signals the algorithm. So if somebody searches maybe a similar type of podcast, it signals the platforms to say, oh, they might also like the Unshaken Faith podcast because there seems to be a buzz around it, it seems to be a good response. So if you want to go listen to that trailer, subscribe, and then even leaving good reviews, take this Christmas season and share that trailer with your friends on social media. Say, hey, this is coming. This is going to be great. Everybody get on board with it. It really helps get the word out. And we are so excited about it. So please go listen to that trailer, Unshaken Faith podcast. Um, guys, my heart and soul is in it. I'm so excited. And again, the Elisa Childers podcast is going to continue. We've got some really exciting episodes coming for you in the new year. I've got so many great guests lined up to talk about all sorts of things from Christian nationalism 
to radical gender theory to the reliability of the Bible. We're going to cover it all. So stay tuned for all of that. And without any further ado, I'm going to take you to my live stream I did with Natasha Crane last Monday. All right, everybody, welcome in, welcome in. We've already got people commenting on Facebook and YouTube. But, you know, before we get to our big announcements, we have a fun little segment that we have planned for you because one of the little inside jokes that Natasha and I have, we've done a lot of ministry together, and both of us tend to write on topics that can seem to be controversial for some people. And so a lot of times when we throw our opinion into the, the ring of the public sphere, often people instead of engaging logically with our arguments, will just call us a Karen. And so Natasha and I sometimes will text each other back and forth, you know, I'm just Karening hard today, you know, and we even <laughs> thought about calling this live stream like Christmas Karens. And so instead of calling it that, we're going to have a little segment called Christmas Karens. That's us. You have wow. your hat there, Natasha. We, I do. We are really, really going hard with the Karens right, th right now. We're just this embracing gonna it. We're going to embrace yeah. it. Go you might it. as well. Yes. The, the middle-aged woman stereotype always wants to write a letter to the manager. And so we thought, why don't we identify a couple of letters that we would write to managers if we were going to completely embrace our Karenhood? And so I'm going to kick us off with the one that I would write. I would write to the manager of the Starbucks holiday drink program because last year they discontinued the eggnog latte. Mm. Lisa, I don't know if you know that the eggnog latte is the best drink that has ever been made. Here's the thing. Last year, they took it off the menu. And I was very upset about this as a Karen. And I asked at my local Starbucks, is there any way that I could still get the eggnog latte? And this is a true story. I actually did ask, which is very naturally Karen of me. Mm -hmm. And you know what happened? They actually would make the eggnog latte. Last year, even though it wasn't on the menu, they would make it for you if you were kind of in the know and would ask them. They carried the eggnog. So it was kind of a soft discontinuation. Mm. Well, I got used to this. And as a true Karen, a little entitled to my Starbucks eggnog latte. Mm -hmm. And this year, the holidays come around. And what do you think that I do? I go and I ask, can I have an eggnog latte? And they look at me and they say, well, no, we don't have that anymore. And I said, oh, I know, I know, I know. But last year you were still <laughs> making them. <laughs> I know. You, you and I know each other, right? You know, yeah, we, okay. I know that you can still make it. And the answer was actually no. And so I was very offended by this. If I had to write a letter to the manager of Starbucks, that is what it would be. And by the way, they actually have them in the UK. I looked it up online and you can get eggnog it's lattes in other that places. That is wrong. It, it's wrong. I feel indignant about it. It's it's not okay. So that would be that would be my Karening. That I mean that that's Karening hard into the universe. It, it really is. That will ruin anyone's day. I remember I was working at Starbucks <laughs> the year that the eggnog latte was launched, and I remember tasting it and thinking nobody's ever going to like this. This is terrible. <laughs> but then I tasted it again the next year, and it became my favorite Christmas drink. See, and I'm I'm with you. We're going to write letters. We're going to write letters. Okay, well, my Christmas I think we should Karen... actually write the letter after this. We should actually send the letter and see if anything happens. <laughs> yeah. And we'll have another big announcement podcast. Yes, <laughs> because the people letter will be back. waiting. They'll be waiting they to will. know what <laughs> <Absolutely>. happened. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, we're fine with the cups. Whatever Starbucks wants to do with their Christmas totally. cups is fine. But you must put Absolutely. eggnog latte in them for yes. the Karening to, yeah. Okay. Um, mine is, you know, when you go out and you're doing your Christmas shopping, although now granted a lot of that happens online, but there's just a lot more traffic. 
And I would like to write a letter to the manager of four-way stops in Nashville. Because I've lived in Nashville over 20 years, and I still have never seen a four-way stop executed properly. So what <laughs> happens, and especially when it's busy in the holiday season when everybody's shopping, is you pull up to the four-way stop and nobody cares who got to which stop first. Somebody in the four-way stop will elect themselves manager of that particular execution of the four-way stop. And they will begin directing just randomly at their own whim and desire who should go when. Now, I come from California where that's like you don't mess with the sacredness of the four-way stop. You, you go in the order which you stop at the stop. And so sometimes like, I don't want to break the law and you know go and it's not my right of way. So I'll just wait and I'll say, no, it's like, it's your turn. And, and then they get mad. And I'm like, you shouldn't be mad. I didn't vote for you. Like I didn't vote for you. I didn't elect you president of this four-way stop. And so I'd like to write a letter to that person who elects themselves manager of the four-way stop to execute it very poorly. And then everybody takes longer to get to where they want to go. How's that? That was pretty Karen-y of me. Don't you think? I, I like that. And I would also join to that letter. It's amazing how similar we are yes. in the letters yeah. that we would write. So maybe people are right. Maybe we are genuinely Karens because I'm, I'm the rule follower also. It's like, mm -hmm. why are you not paying attention to who got here like, first? Because I am paying close yeah. attention. I want to know right. who's at each of the stops and I'm in California. So, yeah, but you I'll, know, I'll even, you really... know, it's even an art. Like I'll, I'll see this person's coming up a little, so I'll wait a little and stop right after them. So they know it's their right. turn. So that there's clarity, clear. clarity, Total right? Clarity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I completely understand yeah. what you're talking about yes. right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so my other letter to a manager would be to the manager of Christmas wrapping paper designs. Mm. At least I don't know if you have been out shopping for any kind of wrapping paper, but I was at Target the other day. And it's just a disaster out there. When you look at the bins that are filled with the wrapping paper, you know, you come and they have these huge boxes, right? And you, it's like, I don't know, three for $5 or something. You start looking through them. They are horrific. If you want to actually find some kind of nice metallic kind of paper, something shiny, a little more elegant, maybe some silver writing that says Merry Christmas with a pretty tree or something like that, you are out of luck. At my local Target, what they have a predominance of is llamas. Llamas. Oh, Christmas I, llamas. Yeah, those are big Christmas llamas. Yeah. I, I don't even understand. So maybe because I'm the middle-aged Karen, I don't know the significance <laughs> of llamas in culture. That's totally a possibility. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that I don't get the llamas at Christmas thing. And also, there were a lot of desert landscapes. Is that a thing too? I don't know. There were a lot of like hmm. cactus wrapping papers. You had all these, you know, Santa heads that were floating above them. Like they're almost decapitated. Hmm. I'm like, what is this? This is so ugly. There's nothing elegant and beautiful about it. So hmm. I would absolutely write a letter to the manager of these designs. That's that's great. I, I like to just use the plain brown butcher paper for Christmas <laughs> presents, you know, with like pretty ribbon and stuff. But oh. yeah, decapitated Santa heads is a hard pass, yeah. probably. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And my final Christmas Karen letter that I'd like to write uh, to a manager is to the manager of whoever decided that ev to be a good parent, you have to have Christmas themed, matching Christmas themed pajamas mm -hmm. for your entire family. Because it seems like every year there's like another thing you have to do as a parent to make Christmas worthwhile for your children, whether it's the elf on the shelf, you know, which is an everyday job. That's an everyday thing. But also the, the Christmas pajamas and the pictures on the Instagram. And it's like, I've just never gotten there. But, you know, I just I'd like to write a letter to the manager of whoever decided that needs to be a thing. 
I have to confess that we did get the family matching pajamas this year and and not just kind of cute family matching pajamas. We have full body onesies <laughs> in reindeers with a hood. They're they're hoodies. Do they do you have it's, antlers? Well, they're not like full antlers, but they kind of have these like ear things. Okay. So yeah, well, that's I, also I, you know, very Karen-y. It's very Karen-y to buy the pajamas for the family. It, so it is. But it know. goes beyond not to pick out the full bodied pajama yeah. suits. Well, I, I like did that. pick them out too. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I I, just, I, sh I should have a picture to put up just so that we can see this. Maybe maybe that will be uh, another time. <laughs> yeah, I love it. All right. So guys, we promised we're going to be doing some giveaways today. We're going to start right off the bat with a giveaway of my newest book, Live Your Truth and Other Lies. And let's see, I've got the winner here for that one. Uh, the winner for this is Alyssa H., Alyssa H., congratulations. You just won a copy of Live Your Truth and Other Lies. Guys, to claim your prize, when you win, uh, email contact at alisachilders.com with your name, address, and the prize that you won. And I'll know if somebody just emails and like, oh, yeah, I totally won, and here's my address, because we know, we know. So Alyssa H., you just won. Email contact at alisachilders.com to claim your prize. All right, so... First big announcement. Are you guys ready? We're pretty excited about this first one. So I don't know if you even remember this, Natasha, but years ago, we were at the Cross-Examine Instructor Academy. We were both instructors there. And we started talking about apologetics conferences. And we were saying, you know, it seems like, I mean, there's some great ones out there. There really are. But we had this real specific vision that we wanted to bring to a conference. And especially now, today, when culture is so chaotic, I mean, we all see it. There is uh, just it seems like there are attacks on Christian beliefs from all sides. It's like you can't get through one door to there's 10 more doors of, you know, people just, just with claims against Christianity. And it can be very daunting, very difficult to live your Christian faith boldly, interacting with the specific things that are going on in, uh, in our culture. So we, for years, have been talking about maybe putting together a conference and so We've, we've done it. We've actually finally done it. So Natasha's going to give us some specifics about what it is, but this is the big reveal. We're so excited. We've been working on this for a really, really long time, and it's, it's coming to pass. It's happening. Elisa, it's a little hard to take you seriously with the Santa hat on. Oh, I get it. Let's take you back. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's go back to business. No, I love the Santa hats. No, business. I love it. Okay. <laughs> I think I really think it needs to go back on. Okay, I was just on. saying it's All kind right, of funny. Good. Yeah, no, I, I love it. Right, it. No, seriously, you guys, we are so excited about the conference. So I'm going to give you some details about it. Uh, first off, the name. It's called, I feel like we need the drum roll kind of sound effect here. It's called Unshaken. And, you know, it's funny. This is a whole process. Maybe it doesn't seem like a big deal to announce a name, but it's a whole process of trying to come up with a name that really encapsulates what you're trying to do. Um, and that isn't taken by people that, you know, it's not something that's out there already being done. And it's really hard to come up with a name for things. And so we're excited about the name Unshaken because what we really want to do is be able to equip and encourage and embolden you to stand firm in today's really chaotic culture. So we want you to be unshaken with your faith. And so that's the name. We're going to be doing four locations and dates in 2023. So here's how they're going to be spread out. We're going to have two that are in the winter and spring, and then two that are in the fall. But we're only announcing the first date and location tonight. 
So the other ones across the year, we're going to be announcing in coming weeks. And I'm going to tell you in just a little bit what that date and location is. It's coming up really soon. But first, I want to tell you a little bit more about the conference because this is what will apply to all the dates that we're going to have next year. Uh, the theme for this year's conference, and I do say this year's because it is our every intention that this becomes an annual conference that we're going to be able to keep doing this. So for this first year's conference, the theme is winning the battle of the gods. So what do we mean by that? Here's, here's what it is. It seems like Elise is saying that there really is this battle that is just raging in culture. And ultimately, it's between those who trust in the authority of God through his revealed word and those who trust in the authority of the self. It might seem like we have all these individual issues that we're constantly going back and forth on all of the YouTube videos and all of the TikToks and everything that's out there. It seems like, okay, we've got this issue and that issue. At the end of the day, it is about authority. Who is your God? Is it the God with the big G or is it all the little G gods, ourselves and everyone else and everything else around us? So when we say winning the battle of the gods, we're talking about what does that look like for us as Christians in this culture when there is so much pressure from everything that's going on around us? What does it look like for us to know that there is one big G God, that he is our authority on what's true about reality, what's good, bad, and right and wrong. So that's what our theme is. And our vision is to have different speakers every year. This year, we are so excited and honored to announce that Frank Turk is going to be joining us. Yay. I think most of the people, yay, you do have sound effects. Awesome. <laughs> My husband and I were laughing earlier because it's like, it's all men like cheering and it's like a weird, <laughs> a, but it's all we could find. So there you go. Yay for no, Frank. that's perfect. Yay for Frank. <laughs> and we, we invited Frank to come on with us tonight, but he had a speaking engagement and so he wasn't able to join us, but we're going to be doing some things with him to uh, promote the conference. So we'll, we'll definitely be on with him another time. But I think most people watching know who Frank is, but just in case you're not familiar with him, a few of the formal bio things. He is the author or co-author of several books, including I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. You've probably heard of that. Uh, his, his latest is called Hollywood Heroes. It came out earlier this year. He hosts a weekly TV program that is broadcast to 30 32 million homes, and he's the founder and president of crossexamine.org. They have a huge social media presence. They're on YouTube, everywhere you can find them. And Frank speaks more than 100 times a year. I don't know how he does it. That's, that is just a huge, huge speaking lot, load. Yeah. But we are so honored that he's going to make time to do this conference with us. And so yeah. we're so excited to work with Frank on this. Okay, so the first location, here's what it is and the date, January 28th like next month. So when I say January 28th, just in a few weeks from now, we're going to be kicking off the first date and the location is going to be Dayton, Ohio. And I realize that sounds a little random. Like, you know, you might think like New York City or San Francisco. Dayton, Ohio, though, is such a great place for this conference because it's strategically located between several different large cities. And so if you're anywhere in those areas, then you can easily make it to that conference. So we're hoping that it will be a good place for a lot of people. Uh, it's going to be held at the Arbogast Performing Arts Center, which my understanding is that it's just a little bit north of Dayton in a town called Troy. Um, but we are so excited, especially to be working with a couple of local apologetics organizations, and they have been volunteering so much time and their resources to help us really get this up and going. It's called the Dayton Apologetics, Dayton Apologetics and the Apologetics Fellowship. And so we are so grateful for all of their support 
in making this happen locally there in Dayton, Ohio. So the tickets are actually on sale now. Elisa is going to bring up our website. It's unshakenconference.com. So if you take a look at what she has up there, you can kind of see what you'll find on the site. And if you are in the Dayton area, this is your chance. Just like you can see right now, you can go there. You can purchase your tickets. The conference schedule is on there. Uh, so you can see what it's going to be all about, whether you go to the Dayton location or the other ones. Um, and also, if you're interested in the Dayton location, there are limited VIP tickets that are available. And the VIP tickets will get you premium seating and a catered lunch. And from what I understand, it's also like a meet and greet kind of time with Alisa and Frank and myself. I don't know how exciting it is to meet and greet <laughs> with us, but it is part of the package. I think the premium seating part is kind of the coolest part of it. Uh, but for those who are interested in that, those are going to go pretty quickly because they are limited. So make sure if you are interested in the date and location, you jump on and you get your tickets. And that's unshakenconference.com, unshakenconference.com. And then all of the uh, dates that we start to announce, which we were really close on a couple of the other ones that will be put up on there, you can check the site and then get information on the specific dates as they're uploaded there at unshakenconference.com. So, okay. All right. Uh, Karen Patrick just said, nothing wrong with being a Karen from a real Karen. <laughs> and actually, no Karen. And I told her once, I'm like, you know what? Everybody should be a Karen because you're an awesome Karen. That's what I told her. And uh, Kathy That's loves awesome. the Christmas Karens. Good. Okay. So we're going to do another giveaway. Uh, let me see if I've got a winner here. Let's see. Yes, I do. Okay. So for this one, um, you're going to be getting, the winner of this giveaway is going to be getting a bundle. Okay. So what this is, is the curriculum that we produced for another gospel. So we've got the DVD experience, uh, which you can also stream. I, got, I don't even think I have a DVD player. I don't know. But if you, <laughs> you can have this. Um, and then you're going to get five participant guides. So you and four friends can go through another their gospel and do the participant guide and have the DVD experience together, which is, uh, I, I believe it's six sessions. Yeah, six sessions. And then you read through the book and discuss, and then there's a little stuff you can fill out on the participant guide. So the winner of the Another Gospel Curriculum Bundle is Ashton Webb. Congratulations, Ashton Webb. So Ashton, to claim your prize, you can email contact at alisachilders.com with your address, and we will get this shipped out to you. So Ashton Webb, email at contact at alisachilders.com. Okay, second big announcement, guys. Are you ready? Like, this is the one, like, I'm, I'm really excited about the conference, but I'm, like, equally and maybe a little bit more excited about this next one. And that is that part of the the theme of the conference being helping people to sort of navigate all of this cultural chaos, Natasha and I are starting a weekly podcast. Now, we are really excited about this because it's, it's going to be called the Unshaken Faith Podcast. There is a trailer that is posted already up on Google, Spotify, all the different places. You can find that. Here's that one. That's Unshaken Faith, Elisa Childers and Natasha Crane. And you can listen to the trailer, which we are really, really excited about. Um, so basically, one of the reasons I'm so excited about this, and I shared this on the trailer as well, is like about a year ago, I started to get texts from friends, and this started to happen more and more, where they would send me an Instagram post or a meme or a TikTok video that 
was making all of these radical claims against the Bible and against Christianity and against just any kind of uh, theology that would be historically Christian, things like the doctrine of hell or original sin, or, you know, even if we allow for um, the even the Eastern Orthodox side of things that would maybe not use the word original sin, but they would agree that there's this inherited sinfulness. Uh, that's so, that's viewed as really toxic on all of these, these memes. And so people were like, how do I respond to this? And so I started to go back and forth with people. And then I realized like, wouldn't it be great to have just a short, maybe 15 minutes once a week where we take a post like that, or we take a, a meme or a TikTok video and we reason through it. And we're going to do a little bit of that tonight in a minute, uh, just to kind of give you an idea of what the podcast is going to be like. But this is where we're really wanting to help you to interact with a lot of the stuff that comes down your social media newsfeed. And so the podcast is called Unshaken Faith. And ultimately, kind of our, our slogan, what, what our mission statement, what we're really hoping to do is to equip you to live your Christian faith boldly in a chaotic culture. So this will be a weekly 15 minutes. Uh, we want to talk about relevant cultural topics. Now, Natasha and I both have personal podcasts that are longer, so about an hour or so, depending on the, the topic. And sometimes we interview guests, sometimes we just reason through things or go a little deeper on these issues. Um, so it's not a replacement of those. We're still going to be doing our personal podcasts, but this is just an additional opportunity. A lot of people will email me and say, I love a lot of your content, but I never get to all of it because I just don't have the time. I don't have the time to sit and listen to something for an hour. So this is just 15 minutes. You can listen on your morning commute or while you're doing the dishes or whatever it is you're, you're doing when you just have about 15 minutes to, to pop something in uh, on a drive or something like that. So uh, if you want to, it's up on all of the platforms. So you can go right now and subscribe on iTunes. You can subscribe on Google, Spotify, all the places. Now, I do want to ask you guys, for, for those of you who are already familiar with Natasha's content and my content, and you know you're going to love this podcast, Here's what I'd like to invite you to do. Uh, go listen to the trailer, and then you, you can already start to leave good reviews on iTunes. That helps get the word out. That actually helps signal all the algorithms that you know people are interested in this. This is something that's going to catch on. They'll, they'll suggest it in news feeds and things like that. We'd also love it if you would share the trailer on social media. You can do that all around the Christmas season. We'll be coming around the new year with all new episodes. You can share the trailer right now on your Facebook or on your Instagram or wherever you do your social media on Twitter. And, and and let people know, like, hey, this is going to be a great opportunity to help think through some of these difficult topics. And so in the trailer, we even have a little clip of all the kind of different types of things we're going to interact with. And so definitely go follow that. And that's the Unshaken Faith podcast. I think we have a giveaway, yeah, we, Natasha. We do. And I just want to echo what Elisa said. I'm so excited about this podcast. It's it's I, I'm excited, especially because it is short, like Elisa said. And I see in all the comments that are flying up on my screen right now that somebody said, oh, that sounds like something we can listen to with our teens. And that's actually something that's been in the mm -hmm. back of my mind, too, that we haven't even really talked about. But both of us have teenagers, one or more. And, uh, you know, it's hard to get them to listen to anything that's super long. But we hope that this will be something that is engaging and relevant, um, even for that age group. So even though we are a 
couple of Karens. Hopefully we can um, <laughs> regain some relevance after this uh, yeah. whole like, announcement thing. I seriously, <laughs> we're, I, we're crawling out of a hole. <laughs> I know. I seriously thought, like, wouldn't it be just so great to call this podcast, like, you know, Karening into the chaos. We'd like to speak to the so, the manager of cultural chaos. You know, like we're going to write letters to the manager of all the the deception with this podcast. Exactly. <laughs> and we thought about it. We actually talked about this, and we thought, okay, then we're going to be going a little too deep into into it. We didn't know if it was only us who would be amused by this, but yeah, so. um, but we're letting it all out through this announcement. So that's good. Yes. Okay. So next uh, giveaway is faithfully different. This is my book that came out earlier this year and can't get it on the screen here. There we go. Elisa, who's the winner of this one? So the winner for this one is Sharon Harbeck. Sharon, congratulations. Yay. Go ahead and email contact at elisachilders.com. Send us your address and we will get your copy of Faithfully Different out to you. So Sharon Harbeck, congratulations. Yay. And you guys, if you already happen to have the books that you're winning, you can give them as Christmas presents. They both make or all of them make good Christmas presents. So think about that. Okay, so what Elisa and I wanted to do as we get toward wrapping up, and we are gonna have a Q&A at the end, but we just wanted to take time to respond to a couple of things, a couple of Christmas themed things that we found online to give you a feel for what we wanna talk about on the podcast and really the subjects that we're gonna be talking about in the conference next year. Because all of these, the, the podcast, the conference, the whole brand of Unshaken really is about the same thing. So they are very much tied together as wanting to equip and encourage and embolden you in this kind of culture. So Elisa, the first one, the one that I wanna do is from beliefnet.com. Are you familiar with that? Have you seen these articles yeah, on BeliefNet? Yeah. So it sounds like it might be faith-based, but there is all kinds of stuff on there um, that really is problematic. So I just found this article. I'm not going to go through the entire article because it would take too long, but I'm going to read a couple of little parts of it just to uh, give you a feel for what it is and talk about how you would respond. The title is called The Christmas Story, What's Real and What's Not? So you can already see where this is going to go. And big promises, by the way, by the belief net writer that they are going to assert for us what part of it is real and what's not. So it starts with all of these questions. I'm just going to read a few of them. It says, did it really happen? Did the angel Gabriel really appear to Mary to tell her she was to be the virgin mother of the son of God? Do virgin births really occur anywhere except in mythology and fairy tales? Did a star really appear in the sky when Jesus was born? Did that star really travel at a pace so slow that the wise men could follow it from wherever they came? Did a heavenly host really sing to hillside shepherds? Or are these narratives a kind of religious Santa Claus story not meant to be taken literally? Okay, so anytime you have an introduction like this to an article, you can kind of see where it's going. They're trying to make you feel kind of stupid for believing miraculous events. So here's the thing. The answer to all of those questions is going to be no if there's nothing that exists beyond this natural world. <clears throat> Excuse me. So basically what they're presupposing in the way that they're setting this up is that there's nothing that exists beyond nature. And just a basic definition of miracles would be an extraordinary event with a supernatural cause. So just by definition, if nothing beyond nature exists, if nothing supernatural is there, then a miracle can't happen. These things like a virgin birth, this is not going to happen, just naturally speaking. So right there, we're talking about presuppositions. How does someone come into this? And 
of course, they want you to feel stupid for believing in miracles, but this is a philosophical question. So then it goes on to say, for most of the first 1700 years of Christian history, the unchallenged answer to each of these inquiries would have been a resounding yes. Human beings then lived in a pre-scientific world of miracle and magic. The faith story, rooted as it was in the past, wove into its central fabric tales of wonder with either hesitation or embarrassment, without either hesitation or embarrassment. But in the last 400 years of Western history, we've experienced an enormous intellectual revolution that dramatically changed everything. So this is a whole other subject that you'll hear skeptics kind of go after a lot, which is that, hey, people were just gullible. Everyone was just gullible back then. It was just all miracles and magic and everything was, you know, like that. So why would you have any reason to believe that this kind of story in particular is true? People just believed anything then. And I actually have a chapter on this specific question in my book, Talking With Your Kids About Jesus. And in that chapter, I quote Craig Kingner, who is a Bible scholar, and he has written a lot of great books, including one called Miracles. And it's this huge two-volume set where he just goes deep into analyzing the nature of miracles and have miracles happen. Really an, a just impressive volume. And so I just want to pull out this quote that he talks about with respect to, are people just gullible? He says, after an extensive analysis, the majority of ancient historians were critical of some reports while accepting the possibility of others. That is, they did not a priori decide all claims of paranormal events to be either authentic or inauthentic. So basically, they were just like us. Yes, they had their kind of miraculous stories. Yes, they had their kind of mythological stories. Some people believe them, some didn't. But overwhelmingly, you don't see the situation where just everything is believed. This is just historically not the case. So this suggestion that you know everything before the scientific revolution, the Enlightenment, was just a bunch of gullible people who believe anything just is not historically mm -hmm. accurate. And also, just because we had the scientific revolution and went through the period of the Enlightenment where there was this increased focus on reason does not imply that everything prior to that was inaccurate. And you see that claim a lot of skeptics too, that anything that's pre-enlightenment is just to be kind of discarded because we know better now. And that's kind of the tone that you're getting from this article. And then it goes on to say, our world doesn't admit of heavenly signs that broadcast events on earth, nor do we admit that there is such a thing as a supernatural or miraculous birth. We know that the story of a Santa Claus who travels through the sky is not literal truth. And we've come to suspect that neither is the story of Jesus's birth. Notice that nothing new is being said here. It's just a continued assertion, right? It's like they're going to just keep saying this stuff mm. is crazy. This miracle stuff, we should know better. We suspect that Santa's not riding through the sky and, you know, this didn't happen either. So, yes, we don't believe that a virgin birth happened naturally. We, we all know that. We're not saying that that's what happened, but we're saying that we believe there's evidence that God exists, that the supernatural is real, and therefore that miracles are possible. Okay, so that brings in the final question of, okay, if miracles are possible, did a miracle actually happen in these cases? They're not drawing those connections. <laughs> I'm drawing that connection. Mm -hmm. So in this, there's a lot more to this article, but I'm going to read you one final little piece. So modern people face the, did it really happen question about these Christmas stories and answer it with an increasingly clear, no, no, these things did not really happen. No, they are not literal. They did not occur in history. And it's time for the leaders of the church to say so openly. The fact is, this is the kicker, the fact is that no reputable biblical theologian today, Catholic or Protestant, is willing to defend the historical accuracy of the details of the biblical birth stories. Hmm. So that is really 
quite a claim. I mean, yeah. they're suggesting that there's kind of this trickery deception that's going on by mm -hmm. church leaders and kind of playing into this perception among skeptics that, you know, pastors are all in it for money. They're all trying to pull the wool over the uh, eyes of people who don't know any better. You know, it's time for people to say so openly. Um, so they're just kind of playing on that. But the fact is, according to them, that there's no reputable biblical theologian willing to defend the historical accuracy. You know, this is so common that in articles like this, you'll see these just grand assertions made. There's nothing backing it up, but they're just saying it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it's easy for someone who maybe hasn't done any kind of apologetics, who hasn't studied any of these things to come across this stuff and think, wow, that, that sounds pretty serious. Like, is that true? Or they should be asking if that's true, but it sounds so bold as a claim. And it's not true. How is this person defining reputable, right? Mm -hmm. They're not saying, okay, of these biblical scholars here, none of them would say that these details are historically accurate. They're, they're not giving you any criteria. They're literally just making the claim that there's no one according to their criteria who is reputable, who will defend the accuracy of the details. Well, it's just not true. There are plenty of Bible scholars who believe that the Bible is reliable, that the gospels in the in particular, eyewitness testimony, is that this is reliable data, that these are reliable stories. And so, you know, Richard Bauckham comes to mind, Daryl Bach, Craig Blomberg. There are so many mm -hmm. great books that are written about the historical reliability of the Bible and of the Gospels in particular that contain the birth narratives. Yeah. So as we think through kind of this whole thing about, wait a second, a virgin birth, like how do we know that happened? Is there an apologetic around that? Okay, well, no, not directly to go back in time to the virgin birth, but we start at the big picture level, first of all, saying, well, are miracles even possible? Miracles are possible if God exists. And so that's a question of God's existence. And if miracles are possible, then the next question is, did a miracle actually happen in this case? And that's a totally legitimate question to ask, right? Just because miracles are possible doesn't necessarily mean that everything that someone claims is a miracle actually happened. So then the question comes down to the reliability of the Bible and the Gospels in particular that contain these birth narratives. So mm -hmm. that's why apologetics is so important, because it gets us back to this question of, okay, how do we know that the Bible is true? How do we know the Gospels are reliable so that we can look at what is claimed, look at the information that's collected by the writers or that's retold by the writers and say, okay, this is a truthful testimony that includes these stories that, yes, are sometimes hard to understand or hard to grasp. They are miraculous. But at the end of the day, to throw it out like this writer is just disingenuous without actually giving any consideration to these philosophical things or the historicity of the Bible. I see that all the time too. And for me, it just goes back to creation. If you think about the idea that something came from nothing, right? If, if the atheists are correct and the universe popped into existence out of nothing without a cause, right? Without, of course, as Christians, we believe the universe popped into existence out of nothing caused by something. That's where the, the Christians would differ. But if you take the atheist view that the entire universe popped into existence out of nothing and uncaused, I mean, that sounds like a miracle to me. I mean, that's, that sounds like a miracle. And so everybody's kind of got this presupposition of some sort of a miraculous thing happening. And so as Christians, we know that if there was a cause to the universe coming into existence out of nothing, then like you said, anything is possible. Uh, I think it was Norm Geisler who said, uh, there's no problem turning water mm -hmm. into wine when you can make water out of nothing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <And> so, uh, <laughs> exactly. But it is interesting, though, this point you're making about the sort of bait and switch philosophically that's happening with a lot of these posts. Just recently, 
I witnessed this happen on Facebook. There was a very popular uh, progressive Christian deconstruction platform that made some claims about the possibility that Jesus didn't exist. And they, the claim they made was that, uh, you know, most scholars believe that this is not true, which obviously that, that's not true. Even skeptical scholar Bart Ehrman wrote a whole book about the existence of Jesus being a real thing, that Jesus was a real person in history. And so an apologist friend of ours went on that thread and started to interact and was just very logically bringing some, like, well, actually, here are a list of scholars that, and frankly, there's, you can only find two or three that would actually say Jesus didn't exist. Here are their names. I mean, listing the names. And basically, the deconstructionist was just replying with the laugh cry emoji and just trying to mock the apologist and basically ran ran him off by saying, you know, yeah, you can just have your facts all day long, bah-ha-ha, you know, almost like it doesn't matter what you think. And and it, it's really bizarre that that's where we're at in our culture. I just saw a deconstruction post yesterday where the, the deconstructionist was actually advising their readers to not engage with people who disagree with them at all. In fact, they said it's not your job to do their homework. If they want to disagree with you or they want to bring some facts, you don't have to take your time to interact with that. They can go think for themselves. And ultimately, because there's a, an assumption behind that, that it doesn't matter what's actually true. It just matters what you think and what you yeah. agree with. And so why would we argue? Because it doesn't matter. But of course, if there is an ultimate reality that can at least in part be objectively known, then we want to line up with what we think with that objective reality. And that should be our pursuit in life is to, is this pursuit of truth, which is believing what corresponds with reality. But sadly, we're in a culture that doesn't really value that anymore. And that's, that's kind of sad. Okay, so that, that was great. Thank you for that. And I just want to let you guys know that after I do this, you know, this one that I've got prepared, we're going to be taking some questions. So put your questions in the chat with a capital Q or the word question before, and we will get to as many as we can. But first, what I decided I'd like to do and, and kind of respond to is a TikTok that, um, that I saw that actually represents uh, just a vast majority of the type of thinking that I see on TikTok. So maybe some of our audience isn't really familiar with TikTok, and that's fine. I actually don't think anybody needs to be on TikTok. It is it is a very toxic place. Um, but we also do need to understand that there are hundreds of thousands of people on TikTok deconstructing. And so a lot of these posts, that's where you're going to find them. You're going to find uh, the people who are deconstructing from Christian theology or from the church. They're on TikTok. And uh, so, so a lot of these posts are having hundreds of thousands of interactions on them. So this is one that represents a type of sentiment that I've seen over and over on TikTok. And the way it, it's not directly related to Christmas, but yet it is, because what do we celebrate at Christmas but the incarnation, right? God made flesh, Jesus stepping into his creation to ultimately become the answer to the problem of evil, right? We all have this existential angst over evil that we see in the world. Well, Jesus literally became the answer in the incarnation. And ultimately, he came to rescue a sinful humanity, right? He came to become the perfect sacrifice to take our sins upon himself so that for all who trust in him, who place their faith in him, they can be cleansed from their sins, forgiven from their sins, reconciled to a holy God, and be in his presence forever where he promises to wipe away every tear from every eye. And that's a beautiful hope that we have as Christians. 
But what I'm about to play you is uh, an angle that I see all the time that, that attacks this idea that the church would tell you you're a sinner and they're connecting it with abuse. And so often you'll see people saying, hey, this idea that you're being told you're a sinner, that's abusive. So I wanna show you this TikTok so that you can get an idea of what this looks like. And, um, and then I'm gonna share some thoughts about what I would share with this young lady if I had the opportunity to sit down with her and, and maybe try to, try to talk with her. So let's think of the concept of original sin like this. Let's say you're in a relationship with a person and they tell you that you're worthless, that you would be nothing without them, that you're a horrible person without them, that you need to rely on them for everything and that they are the ultimate good. You have to rely on them. And if you question it, if you start to turn away and start to do something else, there's the threat of punishment. In order to get out of that abusive situation, you have to start building your self-worth from the ground up and realize you are not worthless, that you are somebody, that you are precious. But sadly, the God of fundamentalist evangelical Christianity tells you that you are a worthless sinner worthy of damnation without him and without his guidance. How is that not abusive? All right. So there's a lot to unpack there. And short videos like this, I think, have a lot of persuasive and rhetorical power because they appeal to people's emotions. I don't know what she's been through in her life, but there probably are people who have been through abuse that would hear that and go, oh, yeah, I mean, that, that sounds right, right? It does. It sounds right unless we really think it through. And so the, just a couple of things I'd like to point out in the way that she presented the, you know, the, the argument. Um, first of all, Christianity doesn't teach that you're worthless. In fact, we start with a doctrine called the Imago Dei, and that comes from Genesis, where we learned that every human being that's ever been born has been made in the image and likeness of God. And because of that, there is an inherent dignity and value and worth. Now, being having inherent worth is different from being worthy of something, right? That's kind of a different question. But you're not worthless. That's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, the Bible teaches that humans have great value. And uh, yet, the Bible also teaches that we are fallen. And I'll get to that in a second. But another thing that she said here, too, when she was talking about the abusive relationship is that the abuser will paint themselves as the ultimate good. Well, there's a big difference we have between the abuser in this situation and God who is the actual ultimate good. There's no human who abuses another human who is the ultimate good of anything. None of us are the ultimate good. In fact, the, the, the fact that we're all sinners would prevent somebody. That would that's how you would know if this person is presenting themselves as the ultimate good. You know they're not because they're human, which means they're valuable, but they're fallen. They're sinners, right? And so that should be your first clue. But God actually is the ultimate good, and he's the ultimate—he's uh, our creator, and so he created us with an actual specific purpose, right? Think about when you, when you create things, when you make things, you make them for a purpose. If you make a tool for a specific purpose, it's going to work really well when it's being used for its purpose. It's not going to work real well when, it's been, when you try to use it for something else. Our friend Jay Werner Wallace uses the greatest analogy where he takes his wife's spatial, spatial maker. I don't know if you've ever seen a spatial maker, but it looks like a cheese grater, but it's not. It doesn't have sharp edges like a cheese grater. And if you tried to grate cheese with it, it would not, it would just make a mushy mess. And so if you said this cheese grater is terrible, well, you'd say, well, that you're not using it for its purpose. It's not made to, gr to grate cheese. Now, if you had a cheese grater that did what the spatial maker did and didn't grate cheese properly, you'd say that's a terrible cheese grater. 
right? Because it's not fulfilling its purpose. So what's our purpose? We get that from our creator. And our purpose as human beings is to be in relationship with God, to worship him, to enjoy him forever. But because we're fallen, there's this separation. And then the third thing I wanted to point out in the way she presents this is that her assumption is that the motivation for teaching uh, the idea of original sin or that we're sinners is to abuse someone or to control them. She's assuming that there's that motivation there. Um, but I'd like you to think about a scenario. Imagine that there is somebody laying on, on a table or on a bed, okay, and somebody else comes in the room and starts beating on their chest and causes deep bruising in their chest. Well, I think all of us would agree that's abuse, right? Unless... The person on the bed has just had a heart attack and the person pounding on their chest is performing CPR and chest compressions to save their life. Now we have a different scenario, right? And, and what's the difference? The difference between those two scenarios is the diagnosis of what's actually wrong. And so here's the main point. If original sin actually uh, is the correct diagnosis for what's wrong with humans, if what is wrong with humans is sin, and then God is the cure, he's giving us the cure, which is the gospel, which is the incarnation, which is Jesus, then it's not abusive to tell someone they're a sinner. It's actually life-giving and life-saving. Imagine a cancer diagnosis, uh, a doctor who tells a patient, you have cancer. Now, is that abusive? No, it's not abusive because the motivation of the doctor is to try to treat and ultimately, hopefully, cure the person of their cancer. And that might entail chemotherapy, which can be painful, which can be, uh, you know, cause side effects that are difficult and uncomfortable. But ultimately, he's telling that person they're broken because he's trying to cure what's actually broken. So it's only abusive. Original sin is only abusive if it's not true. But if it's true, it's more like CPR, it's more like chemotherapy, because it's the cure for what's actually wrong. And so that, that would be what I would hope to maybe try to untie for her if I could minister to her. And also, it, I think it's important for us to remember, too, that a lot of people that are coming from that angle have been abused themselves. And so that's going to take a lot of patience, a lot of care, a lot of one-on-one -on -one love and, and mercy and cry with those who cry and all of that stuff, but ultimately to help untie some of those knots of deception that, that we all can kind of get wonky in our thoughts because of things that have happened in our lives. So um, that would be my thoughts on that. Do you have any thoughts on that one, Natasha? No, I think you did a great job of summarizing that. I think, you know, when you watch her video, it, it strikes me how much pain there seems to be behind that mm -hmm. in the way she's saying it. And I think a lot of times when you see people on TikTok, it, you kind of get that feeling. So, some of those videos make me actually really sad because you can tell that there's a lot of pain that's underneath that. And yeah. it's like you're saying, she's completely conflating two things where it's like, well, this is the problem if it's just a mere human. She's not calling it a mere human, but from our perspective, she's talking about this relationship with a mere human versus like you're saying, if you're actually having this relationship with a God who is actually good, then the kind of dependency that we have on a good God who is perfect and fulfills our every need is completely different than being dependent on another human being who right. has a sinful nature themselves, who is going yeah. to take that power and use it in a sinful way. I mean, these are completely different things. So understanding, there's just kind of this lack of understanding, even if you don't believe Christianity is true, of understanding Christian theology of what it means that there's a nature of God and there's a nature of man, and those are completely different. 
-hmm. you cannot just put the nature of man onto God and say, there's a problem because we're completely different. And so I think, you know, part of it goes just to biblical illiteracy, just having no idea today of what the Bible actually teaches. I would hope that if I'm talking about another belief system, even if I'm not a Mormon or I'm not a Muslim or I, I don't adhere to these other religions, that I could accurately describe what they believe so that I wouldn't be kind of conflating things in the same way. And so that really kind of saddens me just to see how many people have this flawed understanding of what Christians believe. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we see this in all the statistics that, you know, that we're always talking about. 65% of people claim to be a Christian in America, but only 6% have a biblical worldview based on um, just, yeah. you know, dozens of questions that are asked in terms of what people believe and how much of the Bible's teachings you actually adhere to. That's about 6%. If you're interested in the research behind that, not to go off course, but on my podcast, I have an episode where I interviewed the director of that research, George Barna, so you can go and listen to that. But that huge difference shows that even within the group of people in America who call ourselves Christians, there are so many misunderstandings mm -hmm. of what is actually taught. So if we don't understand what the Bible teaches, by and large, how do we expect somebody who's been hurt, who's on TikTok, who maybe never has been taught accurately about the Bible? How do we expect them to do that? So we have to have a really... Um, we have to have a good plan going forward. I mean, we mm -hmm. have to really get out there and not just defend the faith, but explain the faith. And mm -hmm. that's something that I think we're kind of behind the curve on at this point that, yeah. you know, apologetics is one thing. Um, that's why I started talking more about worldview issues on my own podcast and, and books and things like that, because I started to realize you can't defend what you can't explain in the first mm -hmm. place. And mm -hmm. for a lot of people today, we can't even do the explaining part. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. All right, well, we're gonna do another giveaway and then we're gonna go to questions. So again, if you have questions, put a capital Q before your question or the word question and we'll get to as many as we can. But we're giving, this is a nice gift. This is from Tyndale. This is a New Living Translation Bible, the filament edition. So this is really cool because you, you can read it and then you get, you get an app on your phone, the filament app, and you can scan the page number um, to connect to notes and, and more in-depth study, uh, devotionals, videos, interactive maps. Um, all centered around the passage you're reading. So as you're reading, you can just scan. You're like, oh, I wonder what, you know, if you're reading about uh, some kind of wilderness, Jesus in the wilderness, you can scan on your filament app and it will take you to maps and like ex explanations of what that area was like and all of that. So you can go deeper, which is pretty cool. So this is something that Tyndale came out with for a couple years ago. Let me show you what it looks like. It's really cool. Um, so it's the Holy Bible, the filament edition. And I want to thank Tyndale for donating this. And we are going to send this to Monica Dennis. Monica, congratulations. So Monica Dennis, you're getting the Tyndale Filament Edition uh, New Living Translation. Email contact at elisachilders.com to claim your prize. Give us your address and we will get this sent out to you. And again, if you if you're all got a lot of Bibles and you're good to go, you can give this as a gift. It's a beautiful gift. Comes in a nice box and all of that. So we'll get that sent out to you, Monica Dennis. All right. So uh, Natasha, you ready to go to the Q&A here? I think so. You know, I did notice one question way earlier, which cracked me up. And the question was, does Natasha sing? And the answer is absolutely not. So I'm just going to lead with that one. <laughs> okay, good. Absolutely I would not. love, I would absolutely love to be able to sing too. I think that is the most precious gift. I cannot sing even a little bit. It, it's just I horrible. bet you can. I bet no, you can. No, I really no. can't. My kids would all tell you the same. I really yeah. can't. Okay. It's bad, but I would love to church? be able to. Do you sing in church? 
you know, I did not even sing in church until maybe like four to five years ago. I would yeah. actually avoid it because I really was self-conscious about feeling like I sang terribly. Wow. So, so like at speaking events, you know, you kind of like sit up in the front row because you're going to get onto stage soon and they have the, you know, the worship before or whatever. And there are people around. I'm always so paranoid. I'm like, oh my gosh, if people actually hear my voice right now, that's going to be so embarrassing. So I sing very, very quietly mm. in the beginning. So yeah. All right. <laughs> That's yeah, we do the doxology at my church at the end of every service. And like, it's funny how people can be kind of timid to sing, but you do the doxology and everybody's got like four part harmonies. Everybody breaks out. It's just like, I don't know what happens to everyone, but they just come alive. It's great. All right. Question number one. This is from Victoria Smith. What are some great resources for raising godly young men in a world that is constantly pushing down young men and young boys? Boy, you're right about that, Victoria. I, I think there is, uh, it's like Christina, I mean, Christina Hoffsummers isn't even a Christian and she's a feminist, but she wrote the book, The War on Boys, because there really does seem to be just a degradation of masculinity and everything that would make a boy who, who they are. But there's a war on girls, too, interestingly. That's why I think we see so much rapid onset transgenderism among young girls is because of that. Um, but what do you think, Natasha? What are some great resources for raising godly young men? You know, I haven't read a specific book on raising boys, and I do have a boy. But what comes to mind is that there's so many different facets of answering this question. You know, there's discipline on one hand, those kinds of resources. And then there's spiritual discipleship on another hand. Um, I, and I, I don't know specifically books about raising boys, but I think that we have to be mindful that it's all those different components together. So when you're talking about, you know, apologetics, all the same resources that you would use for raising girls or for raising boys, um, I just don't know of books specific to, you know, discipling yeah. boys. Are, are you familiar with any I, I that are specific? I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I have a feeling some of our, you know, listeners may be aware of something that they can put in the comments. Um, I, I think that, uh, yeah, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. It's just not my lane. But honestly, I think the, the best resource for young boys is to be discipled by their fathers and by men in their lives. I just think that's, it's so key to have that role modeling and have somebody in their lives who's male, who is reading their Bible and, and modeling true masculinity for them. So, um, you know, but other than that, I don't, I don't really have anything specific. Um, Andrew is asking, uh, is the no eggnog, no eggnog lattes, is that persecution? Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's why we write the letters, Andrew. We have nothing further to say. Yes, it is persecution. Next question. <laughs> okay. Oh, here's a good one from Aj Martinez. What are your thoughts on family Bible time? Is this something you do with your kiddos? What do you do, Natasha? So I think this is like the one of the most important things that you can do when your kids are little, because if you wait until your kids are like teenagers, things things change fast when they get to that age. And it is really hard to corral kids, get them to sit down and say, hey, we're going to do family Bible time. If that's not a pattern that's already been established, it's certainly not impossible. And I encourage everyone to do that. And I think there are some tricks that you can use to, to get the older ones to sit down. But if you have young kids, please start doing that, because if you build that into your kind of daily habits as a family, or maybe you can't do it daily. Maybe that for your family twice a week or even once a week is more reasonable. Do that because your kids start to understand this is something we do as a family. Mm -hmm. And when you establish that early on, it becomes that pattern. It's just like going to church. They get into that pattern. They understand this is what we're going to do. And just one 
thing that I have found that has been especially helpful at all ages, both when they're young, when they get older, set a time. Mm -hmm. And by time, I mean a time duration. A lot of times, I know it's shocking to all the parents listening, but a lot of times kids don't love to sit down and do Bible study together and talk about these things. If that happens to be the case in your house, tell them upfront exactly how long it's going to last. Mm. So if you sit down for an extended time and you're not letting them know what's going on, they're going to be rolling around. They're going to be standing on their heads, whether they're 15 or they're five. Tell them, okay, it's 20 minutes, 20 minutes, and you're going to pay attention and we'll be done. Um, and this has been really helpful for us in terms of giving that time and getting the attention and just saying like, this is how long it's going to be. But if you're going to hold us up because you're not letting us talk or you're messing around or you're fighting, whatever it is, then we'll just have to start again. And it's still going to be 20 minutes. Mm. So that's, um, you know, there's a lot, obviously I could say about family Bible time, but those would be my two big things. Start early for sure. Um, don't give up when your kids get older. It's tempting because it's so hard to get everyone there together at the same time. Um, we're we're at a place now so i have two twins who are gonna be 14 next week and i have a 12 year old we're now trying to do okay on tuesday nights and friday nights we're gonna have after dinner at the dinner table um, daddy is gonna do some kind of just daddy's thoughts some kind of devotional based on what daddy's been studying this week and also that kind of shares with your kids that hey we're we're studying the bible we're doing these things on our own and we want to share with you mm. what god's saying to us so it's going to look different in terms of the timing and how often for every family but yes i absolutely recommend that lisa what do you what do you yeah guys do? I, I do too i think it's really important i think there's a couple of things that are very important with this topic i think number one the consistency of the sitting down and, and doing it intentionally. Uh, I think that's really important, especially because our kids are feeling how, how chaotic the culture is. Um, I know my kids feel it. it, just how everything, nothing's, there's nothing they feel like they can plant their feet in. Even if something sounds nice or sounds right, um, it, it wears on them. And I think to have that discipline, and I'm not naturally disciplined, I'm more of an artist, so I have to kind of work on that. But to have that consistency of even just for me, it's like, just making it a goal to at least four or five nights a week sit down for dinner at the table. Uh, you know, just just consistency like that. So our family devotion time actually happens in the morning. So we're homeschooling this year. So we kick off every morning with, uh, we, we all come to the table and we have breakfast and, you know, nothing fancy. I'm not like, a, you know, the 50s mom that's in there making a big, you know, egg breakfast or anything, but just, you know, <laughs> even if it's just cereal or whatever it might be, we all meet at the table and we read through the scripture. And so right now we're reading through Acts, where I think we're about chapter 18 by now. And uh, we read a significant portion because I want it to get into their hearts, right? And so we read through and if there's anything, and here's what I try to do also. If we only get a little bit into that day's reading and they start to have questions, I press the pause button on the reading and we just engage on the questions and we go about the same time. Like Natasha said, you know, don't, don't do the questions and then keep going on. You know, we just take the amount of time and if they're in, if they're interested and engaged, some days they're not, and we just read through it. And some days they go, wait, what? And they'll ask. And then that's the, that's your cue. Okay. This is the moment, right? They're actually asking a question. So we engage with that. And then we pray and we have great conversations. And like Natasha said, they're not, the kids aren't always wanting to do it, but I feel like deep down they like it because it gives them that kind of firm thing to stand on and they get to see their parents living it out too. So I think that's really important. The other thing is to just take little moments throughout the day. Usually when your kids have a question, it's not going to, not necessarily going to be 
it in that time. It's going to be when you're really busy and you're wanting to do something else. Like if you're maybe cooking dinner or you're doing something else and they have the question and your natural tendency is to be like, you know, just I can't right now. But that's the time to stop what you're doing and engage with their question. And don't make it too long. Um, I learned that lesson the hard way because, you know, when I explain something, I want to explain it thoroughly. <laughs> and um, and my daughter, now thankfully, she she expressed that to me. She's like, Mom, I have a question, but I really don't want you to go on forever. And I said, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad you told me that. So now I know that you want to ask me your question, but you don't want to have to stand there for 20 minutes while I explain, you know, all the things. And so that's been a thing I've really tried to just give her a little bite-sized piece to think about and then see, you know, kind of follow her lead in those other moments um, so that there's this open conversation happening all the time. So that would be what I would have to say about it. I think it's really important, really important. All right. Um, another question from Diane. Can you please tell us if you support continuationism? Um, I mean, I can answer. You can answer if you want to. Um, I, I Continuationism, for those of you who are unfamiliar, is their cessationism, which is uh, a group of Christians who believe that the sign gifts of the Spirit, things like prophecy and tongues, ceased um, with the apostles, right? So, um, and then continuationists believe that all of the sign gifts have continued. I, ha I have no problem with continuationism. I uh, probably would say that I am a continuationist. I think that in certain contexts, all the gifts are still in operation. Um, I think they're greatly abused in a lot of scenarios and in a lot of environments. But theologically, I would say I lean more continuationist uh, versus cessationist. But uh, do you want to Take take that one, Natasha, or you can pass if you want to. <laughs> well, I, I I would say that you know, like you said, I have no a problem with continuationism. So you know, it's not like I look at that and say that's a dividing line between believers. Absolutely not. I don't think that at all. I would be a cessationist. Um, I believe that God can and does work miracles today, uh, but I don't necessarily believe in the continuation of the gifts that were in the early church. But would you say, like, I think probably what they're asking is. If, if somebody were to say that they did believe that the sign gifts continued, would you think they're a false Christian or a false no. believer? Yeah. So it's no, not at all. That's what I mean. It's, you know, it's one of those issues that it's like, I understand the, the case that's made. I understand, or, you know, I study these passages. I've read the books on it. Uh, I come out on a different side than they do, but I wouldn't look at them and say that they're not a Christian. I would say that we yeah. have a disagreement on this particular issue. And that's not, that's not a dividing line. That's not the kind of thing where you and I are always having to talk about, like, you know, it's important right. to divide <laughs> truth from error. You know, we, yeah. we have different interpretations on some things, but this is not one of those things that right. would make or break what is yeah. you know, consistent with historic Christian faith. Yeah. All right, Amanda, practical ways to separate Santa and magical elves from the power of Jesus and the true meaning of Christian of Christmas. Got any thoughts on that one? Well, I think it depends on the age of the kid. I mean, I, I think we're probably talking about the youngest kids there, um, although it could be something that an, an older kid says is kind of a claim from a skeptic's perspective. But for young kids, I think it depends on whether you're actually kind of promoting the Santa story as, you know, this is this actually happens. And I got to say that we always did Santa uh, when my kids were young, when they're really little. And we would say, yeah, Santa left the gifts. And we did it. We went along with the whole Santa thing. We just thought it was fun. And I always thought that the Christians who were like, oh, you know, warning you and saying like, you know, well, like your kids are going to find out and they're going to think, well, then maybe you lied about God too. I was like, okay, that is a huge overreaction. 
when I eventually told my kids that there was no Santa, and they were pretty young still at this age, I don't know exactly how old they were. But when I told them, my daughter's first response, she had tears in her eyes, and her first response was, then how do I know that God is real? I, I was blown away. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I can't believe that like this is actually happening, like people are mm. saying. And so I actually have, we still like play Santa just for mm -hmm. fun. My kids are old enough. Of course they know that Santa's not real. Um, but we'll, you know, we'll put something out, like we'll put stockings up and that kind of thing. I, I did change my mind on this. And so I would say that if I had little kids to start over with again, that I would tell them the story of St. Nicholas and I would talk mm. to, about how that's, you know, what Santa's based on. Santa's not real, but we are doing that. It's kind of a fun story if you choose to do that kind of thing yeah. at all. I mean, Christians are all over the spectrum on whether or not you should do that in conjunction with Christmas. So um, I would personally, I would set that up as a separation early on and just say, hey, this is, yeah. you know, this, this is not the same. And that's a perfect apologetics opportunity also to kind of go down the road of, you know, people can't see Santa and we have these presents and we make up the story. We also can't see God. So how do we know God exists and start to get them thinking about, hey, there's a big difference here because we actually have a ton of evidence that yeah. God exists. And then you can yeah. kind of go down um, that line of reasoning with them. And wasn't St. Nicholas at the Council of Nicaea? Isn't that, was it him or was I it the- I don't know. Because I think there's a legend, although I don't think it's actually true, but it's awesome, that he punched Arius in the face. That's like a legend about the Council of Nicaea. <laughs> so Santa Claus, you know, is pretty awesome. But uh, from my perspective, my parents did not do Santa. Uh, now, it, Santa wasn't banned or forbidden. My mom did kind of like what you're describing, where it was like, you know, you watch the Santa movies and you can, you know, we're, there's. it's not like we didn't talk about Santa, you know, like we don't talk about Bruno or something. We, we <laughs> it was a part of our celebration, but they never told us that he was real. They always told us it was just a pretend fun thing. And I don't feel like I missed out on anything. In fact, I'm actually very, very thankful that they did that so that we kind of did that with our kids as well. We never tried to make them think that Santa Claus was real. And one of my kids actually is kind of mad that we didn't. So, you know, you can't win. I don't know. No, you cannot know. win. You can't win. The older your kids get, the more you realize you cannot win. Once yeah. they're teenagers, you will never win again. Yeah. Yes. 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 You have lost. It's over. The winning is done. Yes. We have hit that. <laughs> Did Susie. I mention that my kids are turning 14 next week? Okay. Yes. Susie got the VIP tickets for good seats and the catered lunch. All right, Susie. Also, uh, this uh, Facebook user is asking, will Frank only, no, Frank will be speaking at all four. So this is, I'm not sure if you mentioned this, Natasha, but with the conference, every season, you did mention this, we're going to have a different theme. So winning the battle of the gods is this year's theme. Frank's on for this year. We're going to rotate speakers. Natasha and I will always be a part of it, you know, as we continue on throughout years, if we keep going and if it, you know, if it's something that the Lord wants us to continue doing, but we'll rotate speakers at that point. So Frank will be on for this this first year or season. Um, so there we go. Um, okay. So Seth is asking, will you still do your regular podcast? Yes, we will be doing our regular podcasts. Um, this is just something that will be a, an addition, additional opportunity to, to listen to Natasha and I, you know, banter back and forth and hopefully help talk, you reason talk through. About and, yeah. Talk about being Karen's. Um, Megan, don't Santa hats make your forehead itchy? Yes. I was just thinking it's like right here. I'm like, I know. Get that. And it's also crooked, which is really distracting. I'm kind of like, <laughs> yeah, it's cute though. It's kind of like yours, yours goes this way. And, um, okay. Uh, 
Pokey Kelly, do you have a favorite pastor or pastors to listen to? Um, I'll start with mine. I, I like to listen to different Bible teachers. Um, probably two of my favorites would be Alistair Begg and Skip Heitzig. So uh, th those would be kind of my regulars that I listen to. Um, but I also really like when I want to go really deep into a Bible study, Dallas Theological Seminary has these online courses where they basically just have videos of their seminary classes um, for different books of the Bible. And, and I've, done the, I've done their Genesis one and their Hebrews one. It's phenomenal. You have these wonderful seminary professors taking you really deep into the text. So I really like that one as well. Do you have some favorites, Natasha? Well, I love Jack Hibbs, Pastor Jack. He oh, yeah. is, um, I just love that he is unafraid to speak out on a lot of cultural subjects that you don't hear a lot of other pastors talking about. You know, he, especially being here in California, I'm in Southern California and he is too. Um, but there's so much going on here um, just with policies that get passed, things that are going on for the pro-life cause. And he is amazing at just getting out there and speaking boldly about it. So I really, really appreciate Pastor Jack in particular. Great. All right. Um, Arlene is asking, I've been reading the Bible, but it seems hard to understand as someone who has difficulty trying to read without trying to understand. Um, is there a Bible you suggest that's easier to start with and understand? Uh, so I would say, Arlene, maybe try like the New Living Translation. If you're just trying to understand the basic text, I, I like the New Living Translation. I wouldn't use that as my main study version, like if I was going to go deep into a study. But if I'm just trying to understand the big picture, uh, it's written with a, a little bit of an easier to understand type of language. Um, I'd also personally, uh, I can't speak for Natasha on this, but I, I would personally recommend the Bible Recap Podcast, where you read through the Bible chronologically, and then there's like a six to eight minute episode every day where Tara Lee Cobble, who is the, the host of that podcast, kind of walks you through like, what did I just read? You could be reading in the Old Testament, like this people went to these people and they did this. And it's like, what just, what did I just read? And she's going to help you understand what you just read. So the Bible Recap Podcast, maybe with a New Living Translation would be a good place to start. Uh, do you have thoughts on that, Natasha? Um, you know, one thing I always suggest, and this is not reading the Bible directly, but just to kind of like get your bearings, if you are kind of unsure about the overall story, I always like to recommend Greg Hochul's book, The Story of Reality, mm -hmm. because it's a very straightforward, easy read, and it just kind of explains the whole story from start to finish so that you understand where the whole thing is going. And that, that's how I like to read anything, really. If it's like a complex book, I'd rather read a summary first so that I kind of understand, okay, there, this is where this thing is, and then I can dig into it. Um, in more detail. So I really recommend that book. I love that book. Um, and then also any kind of study Bible, really. I love my ESV study Bible. I also love, um, there's a cultural background study Bible that I love. And the value of the study Bible is that, yes, we want to just be able to read through the scripture. And there are times where you just read that and you don't want to get into all the study notes, but it's so helpful when you read something, and you're like, I just don't get what this is saying right here or in the cultural background study bible like what is this even you know talking about it'll give you kind of like the history behind something and so i think that's really helpful um i have lots of different study bibles for different things so i go to the the study versions a lot but like i said sometimes there's a morning where i'm studying and i'm just like okay no more study notes i'm just going to mm -hmm. read this so yeah. those would be the two things that i would say is is having some different types of study bibles but also just kind of making sure that you're grounded in the overall story 
And I just, I'll add to this too, uh, you might consider even investing in Logos Bible software because I find that to be really helpful for my daily Bible reading. I'll, I'll put the, the text on one side of my computer and then on the left side, I have all my favorite commentaries just kind of all ready to go. So if, there, if I come across a verse where I'm like, okay, I'm not really sure I understand what's going on there, I might go on a few reliable commentaries that I've kind of curated for my, myself to go, okay, like what are these different scholars sayings going on here. There's something maybe I don't understand that's happening in the Greek or in the Hebrew. And that's been really helpful to me as well. But um, yeah, if you're really having a hard time understanding the overarching story, I would just start by reading the Bible, get it in your bones. And you know, if you don't understand something, it's okay. Just hold, just hold that with an open hand. This is what Tara Lee Cobble says, even on on the Bible recap. She says, if you, if you, a lot of, she even points this out. Some of the questions you're going to have in Leviticus aren't going to be answered until Hebrews, until you get to Hebrews. <laughs> so if there's something that you're not getting, like hold it with an open hand and just keep reading. Get the whole overarching story into your bones, and that will be really helpful. Uh, okay. You know, there's one one more one more resource I just want to yeah. mention that just popped into my mind. Jeannie Jones and Pam Farrell, they oh, have yeah. a series. Yes. of Bible studies for women, um, yes. and they're all discovering something in a book. So um, I think uh, I think discovering it's discovering joy, hope in, joy the in Philippians yeah. and discovering hope in the Psalms. These are wonderful, wonderful Bible studies. I would recommend these to anyone. I'm not even, they have a lot of artsy stuff in them where you can like color and stuff if you're into that kind of thing. I'm not an artsy person at all, but it's, it's meaty. Mm -hmm. while also being totally straightforward. And so it doesn't matter where you are in your Bible study journey, like they, they are such great resources. And I think they have maybe four or five of them. Mm -hmm. So I would absolutely look those up. Jean E, it's like J-E-A-N and then the initial E, Jones and Pam Farrell. Yeah. So I yeah, love those Bible sure. studies. Those are great. And I've actually interviewed Jeannie Jones on my podcast quite a while ago. So if anyone wants to listen, she talks about her uh, finding hope in the Psalms study that I thought was just wonderful. So you can go back in my archives of the Elisa Childers podcast and find an interview with her. That's a, that's a good suggestion there, Natasha. So uh, will it, the podcast we announced, our Unshaken Faith podcast, will it be on Podbean? Okay. So this, um, yes, it will be. And I got a text from my husband while we were on the air and he said that it hasn't, like it's been it's been posted everywhere. He's actually checking Podbean right now. It's posted and sent out, but like it's going to take Spotify another day or two. It's already up on Apple. So if you listen to your podcast through Apple, you can subscribe now. Um, he's checking Podbean. When I find that out, I will uh, get back with you if we're still on the air when he finds out. Um, okay. Um, how do you vote for a podcast on iTunes? I don't know if you can vote for one. I think you can leave a good review. That would be really, really helpful. Um, okay, uh, question. I and we'll just take a few more because we gotta we gotta get going here. But I watched your podcast on the Reformation Project. Where do I go for a more in depth analysis? I know Sean McDowell has addressed this, and I've seen material on Stand to Reason. Any other suggestions for an in depth discussion? Okay, so I think the best book on this topic is um, by uh, Robert Gagnon, and that's Homosexuality. Uh, text and hermeneutics, I believe it's called. If you're looking for something deeper, it's it's more academic, but it's so thorough. And uh, Robert uh, Gagnon does a, a phenomenal job just covering all of these topics of um, you know sexuality, homosexuality, and all that stuff, and going back way back into history about you know just the the mindset of even ancient Assyria and Egypt and and what was going on there and in the first century Roman Empire and just how that relates with the biblical text. Really, really phenomenal resource there. So that's uh, Robert Gagnon, homosexuality. I think it's text and hermeneutics, I believe is the subtitle. Natasha, do you know any good resources on that? 
Uh, I don't. I don't have anything to add to that. Okay. Diana saying, what exactly is a Karen? I understand they were social justice warriors. Is that um, the metaphor? So maybe this funny. Okay, let's define a Karen because my understanding <laughs> of a Karen is that it's a middle-aged woman who gets upset at not getting all of her, you know, customer service perfectly delivered. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's sort of like it's sort of like an entitled middle-aged woman. There you go. Um I, I was I was looking up some of the references, the cultural references to Karen before this and I and I to be honest, there were a couple of things in there that were kind of like there's an association with like being racist and we're certainly not claiming any kind of no. um, racist Karen identity at all. This is just a fun thing where we are non-racist like, Karens. <laughs> We identify as non-racist Karens. That's yes. Right. So we but a lot of times you get called a Karen if you are a middle-aged white woman and somebody who, you know, is kind of like seen as a complainer or somebody who's raising issues. And so it's kind of like, I am going to write a letter to the manager. There's even like a whole thing about the Karen haircut. Um, so if you if you Google the Karen haircut, there's a certain haircut that goes along with being the type of person that a Karen is. So it's just kind of a a, a joke, but we have been called Karens just because yeah, so we're, just, we're just going with it. We're embracing women, it. So we're embracing just it. that part. <laughs> All right. Susan's asking, how did you two meet? I remember, Natasha. Do you remember? Well, we met in person at the cross-examined, the original one that we were both at. I think that was the first time that we met in person, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, so this was this would have been 2016. And I had been following your blog. This was before your first book came out. Or maybe it was like right around the time your first book, because your book had yeah, already come out by that point. But I remember following you on uh, on Facebook and just, oh, your posts were like so good. And I was, I just thought, oh, I just love this. Cause at that time you were just focusing on parenting. And, um, so I, yeah, I was so excited to meet you. And it was kind of one of those situations where, you know, cause like when you listen to someone's podcast or you read their blogs, like, you know them, but they don't know you. And I remember I saw you walk in and I was like, hi, <laughs> And I knew that you didn't know me, but like, you were like, hi. And, and I, and I was like, I like your blog. And I would just, you know, I did one of those dumb things and, uh, you know, something like that. But then we became good friends. And then I started my blog shortly after that. And then Natasha would actually email me all this advice. And she, you were so kind and helpful to me when I first started blogging. Like you even told me like, stop posting on your personal Facebook, start a, start a page for your blog and just post there and just all these little things. Or she would help me or if there was something in a blog post she'd you know write me and say fix this and you know just just so much help and so I'm, I'm it sounds insane. like I was being a Karen I was being a Karen to your blog that's what it you sounds like writing a manager to my <laughs> blog manager yes <laughs> yes okay um okay it is on Podbean so whoever was asking it, it should be there uh, so yeah, just go check again, maybe. Uh, can you provide a link to the intro video you said you have for the new podcast? Okay, it's not an intro video. What it is, is it's a trailer for the podcast. So if you subscribe on Apple, you'll see that the trailer, or wherever, Podbean, the trailer's already there, so you can listen to it. This is an audio podcast. This will not be on YouTube, at least in the beginning. Maybe one, maybe soon we will. But uh, at this point, we're just gonna keep it simple because we got so much going on. So it's gonna be audio only. So you can listen to the trailer there. Um, okay, so we'll end with this one, okay? Just to be clear, are you two celebrating Christmas this year or the holidays? Wow, I feel like this is a deep question, deeper than I uh, than I can answer. No, we are celebrating Christmas. Did we say holidays? Is that the confusion? Know. I don't know. Maybe we did, and they were like, 
they were like, we need to hear Christmas. So Christmas. We need to speak to the manager <laughs> of this. Yes, <laughs> of this YouTube stream, we need to speak to the manager. We are celebrating Christmas. Okay. Yes. Do Christmas you, you all the way. with that announcement? Christmas yes. all the way. Christmas okay. all the way. All right, guys. Homemade eggnog lattes. <laughs> I, I've made them because I, I loved them so much yeah. that I start, I just made them. You know, and I have a latte machine, so if you ever come to my house, I will make you an eggnog latte any time of year. That's amazing. Even so, I love it. Yeah. All right. Well, any closing words that you might have, Natasha? Anything else you want to leave everybody with? No, I, I thank you guys for listening. I'm glad that you guys were uh, tuning in for this, and I hope that it was kind of fun and that you're excited for these projects that we're working on. And we will be announcing those additional conferences in coming weeks. So if you're not near the Dayton area, um, we're going to be spread out throughout the country. So they are going to be in widely different directions. And so hopefully there will be one near you. But thanks for tuning in, you guys. Yeah, and don't forget, go to unshakenconference.com for information about the conference and we will be adding dates to that as we go and don't forget the unshaken faith podcast coming in new year but you can listen to the trailer now thank you guys so much for tuning in this was really fun have a very very merry merry christmas and yes. happy holidays because i celebrate all of them i like all of them so thanks you guys <laughs> have a good night bye-bye You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.